Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, and Clayton is our comma guy today. Clayton, you want to tell us what we're looking at? All right, we're in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 4, and a little bit of context here, that's a C and comma. Uh, we have been reading the book of Luke for the past uh, week or so here, and uh, it's a biography of Jesus. So uh, if you have never read the Bible, this is a perfect place to, to be getting a, a window into the heart of things to actually see what the, the hype is all about with Jesus. Um, and the Gospel of Luke, we've already talked about uh, Jesus's birth and uh, his baptism and the beginning of kind of his launch onto the public scene. And so Jesus is kind of making a splash here at the beginning. He is uh, traveling places, healing people, preaching. Uh, There's some crowds that are starting to gather. And now Jesus has actually come back to his hometown. So this is what we're going to read about what happens when Jesus returns home and he's kind of, you know, becoming a little bit of a, a, you know, I don't want to say a celebrity, but he's being known around the area. What happens when he returns uh, and he starts doing ministry in his hometown of Nazareth? So we're going to pick it up. In verse 14. Nikki, what happens when you return to your hometown? There's a party sometimes. <laughs> where, where is your hometown? Uh, well, this has been my hometown for the longest time. Before that, it was Michigan. South Elgin, Illinois is your hometown? Mm-hmm. And before that, what, what town in Michigan? Uh, like Ann Arbor, Belleville, Belleville area. All right. Clayton, what happens when you return to your hometown? <laughs> uh, I, I usually eat a lot of food with people. Um, I'm not too far from my hometown, so I can go home a lot, but I got friends and it's usually, you know, go out, go out some restaurant I haven't been to in a while or go home to my parents and, you know, we eat and, and that sort of thing. So, and where's your hometown? Uh, Wheaton and Glen Ellen. So, dep- so my address, had, two too. my address had always been in Wheaton. Uh, but we moved around, you know, a few different places within there. But for a while, I went to Glen Ellen schools. And so when I was in Wheaton, just to make it sound like I had actually like moved a little bit, I would be like, oh, I, you know, I'm from Glen Ellen. Like when I was going to the college there and stuff like that, because it was like, well, I went to Glen Ellen school. So it felt like I hey, moved. You grew up in Wheaton, went to Wheaton and worked at Wheaton. Yeah, no, I, yeah. yeah so when I moved to, when I moved to St. Charles, it was like a massive Ooh. deal. Wow. It was a big deal. That was a party. Yeah. Have you ever seen a mountain? Uh, oh, yeah, I've been to... Uh, the landfills don't count. I've been to 48 <laughs> of the 50 states. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, did you, you guys traveled all the time, Yeah, right? we road tripped every year. Tons of stories about that. So, yeah, my parents were, were good to make sure that we, we saw some stuff and not just Wheaton. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, my, my yeah, hometown, well, hometown... My hometown is West Windsor, New Jersey. It's in the Princeton area. And I can tell you what happens when I go home. Nobody cares or knows. Mm. So now let's read Luke <laughs> chapter 4. We see what happens when Jesus returns to his hometown. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, 
gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And truly I tell you, he continued, No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. All right. We're going to start with O, which is observations. I'm going to make a, a quick observation here, some uh, kind of cultural things. They're, they're not a super big deal, but you might be curious about them. Um, so when Jesus goes into the synagogue, so this is kind of a normal gathering. So it's on the Sabbath and the community would be gathered there. Uh, a couple of things that might be confusing. So he's handed a scroll. Um, one thing to remember is that this is well before the printing press. This is well before bound you know, books that are readily accessible. And so if you had a copy of the Bible, you didn't have a copy of the Bible your synagogue did, your community did. So if you wanted to hear the Bible, you would go there and have the public copy of it and they would hand you, a, you know, uh, one of the men who was, you know, gonna read that day would, uh, open, you know, be given a scroll, they'd open it up, they'd read it and then they'd put it back in its storage place. So that's what's going on there. And then when Jesus sits down, after he's read, um, that we think of um, when we see someone teaching, they stand up like at a podium or something like that. Uh, in that context, if he had read the scripture, and then sat down, it meant he was ready to teach because that was the posture of a teacher uh, in an ancient synagogue. So uh, when he says this is fulfilled in your hearing, that's his commentary. <laughs> it's his sermon on this passage um, uh, of the day. So that's what's going on there. All right, what are your observations? Um, one of the things that I thought was pretty cool was uh, in verse 16, um, it says that Jesus went uh, to the synagogue as was his custom. Um, I thought that was cool. Worship was a, a regular part of his life, you know, like I, I like how it, how it, it accentuated the fact that he did this regularly. He led by example. That's because there wasn't COVID so he could actually go to church. <laughs> my, one of my observations comes from verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips, but it seems to turn really quickly. And so it's a little bit confusing to me, right? So he reads, he reads the scroll from Isaiah, which is prophetic. And then essentially says, Hey, this, this, uh, this, uh, text from Isaiah, it's about me. Here I am. And then it says, they all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But then it goes on and isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? So it's, it feels like they're amazed and they like what he's saying, but then they start going, wait a minute, this is just Joseph. Kind so like, skeptical. who is this guy to be able to say this? It seems like it turns really fast. It, it mm -hmm. does. 
I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, okay, either when it says they were amazed, like there's there's kind of a, there, maybe there's a two-sided like meaning of that word, like where you're like, what in the world Who is going on? Like it could be is? amazing yeah. or it could be just sort of like confusing, shocking. What What's happening here? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of it or if the, isn't this Joseph's son is kind of the beginning of the turn where where this could be incredible because this ordinary guy is doing this. Like he's just the carpenter's son, right? And so it's like, this is really amazing. I can't believe he's doing this. But it also could be the beginning of the skepticism that, you know, fully blooms later in the, the story. But it is it is a, a weird moment. It's hard to know what to do with it. Because then he goes on and says, I know what you're going to say. Like, if I'm claiming that I can actually heal the sick and set the captives free, that you're going to tell me, well, go ahead and heal yourself. Or uh, do hear what we heard that you've been doing all over the place. Yeah, they want proof. Yeah, and then his his answer is you're you're not a you're not getting any proof, and even if I gave it to you, you're not going to believe anyway. Is yeah. essentially his answer. So, yeah, I guess I'm just saying again, it does just seem to turn. I don't I don't understand that verse. All spoke well of him and were amazed. You just you just said that there could be two possible ways of being amazed at the gracious yeah. words that seems that positive came from his lips. I'd have to, it, I'd have to look into that more. Yeah, I took it as a. I took it as a positive thing. Um, it was, but here, but again, it, he's reading this scroll. Here's another thing. Okay, just let me just go back to this. Yeah. Um, who got to like decide who read? Like, how did you get what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. did someone come in? Like, I'm wondering if there's just like this bigger picture of like, okay, so he before he came to the synagogue. He was kind of creating a name for himself. He was going around. He was teaching. The news was spreading about him around the whole countryside, and everyone's praising him. And so he comes there to the synagogue, and maybe they're like, hey, here's Jesus. Let's let him read today. And they hand him the Isaiah scroll, and he reads it. And then he goes, I'm the, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that this passage is talking about. And everybody's like, oh, really? And then they're like, mm, but are you, though? Because who knows how much time went went between them saying, "Oh, we're they're amazed and and at, at all of his gracious words," and then all and then who knows how much time went by when he was teaching and talking, and all of a sudden they said, "But isn't this just Joseph's son?" Yeah, there 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 is something to be said that in in biblical stories we're talking about you know fourteen fifteen verses here. Yeah, it's condensed. So you, yep. you you know we've got lots of speeches of Jesus where it's like they were out there all day and you can read the speech in like three minutes. So th- this could be one of those situations where it's a sum up. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of time for the conversation to progress from amazed to skeptical to we're about to kill you. Right. Uh, which although that's still pretty pretty drastic. Uh, drastic. Yep. Um. So there could be something in there. But yeah, there's definitely some like it's provocative, okay, mm-hmm. for Jesus to come in and say this ancient prophecy from Isaiah that uh, predicted the restoration of God's kingdom through this you know servant who is going to come and have the Holy Spirit on him and do all these incredible things. I'm that guy. Like for hundreds of years, you've been reading this, and now I'm here. Like it's gutsy to do that. You know what I mean? And so. Um, yeah, they're amazed, but maybe there's a there's a mix of the crowd saying, "But do you realize what he's claiming? Mm-hmm. Like this is this is crazy. If the you know, it, like wh- how would you have the have the audacity to just say that in front of us? You know, and we've known you your your, your our whole your whole life. Mm-hmm. We've known you. You know, we chased you around and did it. You know, like what's going on? Yeah, 
Yeah, so it doesn't, it doesn't tell us why Jesus was the reader that day. Mm-hmm. He could have walked in and said, hey, can I be the reader today? I don't, I don't know how that worked in the synagogue, yeah, like know. how they selected the readers. You also would ask the question, was it just happenstance that it was Isaiah? Or did he pick it? Or did he pick it? Hey, yeah. hand, me the, hand me the Isaiah scroll. Because he knew exactly what he wanted to do that day when he walked into the synagogue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell us. E- either way, it feels like it's orchestrated. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally. You know what I mean? Like either, either he did it on purpose or, or he just had, hey, hey, dad, why don't you make sure <laughs> providentially this works? I think the thought behind like what he says to his hometown as well is kind of orchestrated too because he says like, I know that you don't believe who I say I am. Yeah. And so because of that, I'm going to take my message to someone who is going to believe it. Yeah. And so he said, and he, he recounts these occasions where, where God sends his prophets to people outside of Israel. And the people hear that and are like, no, they get so mad. Like, no, that's our blessing. Yeah. And you're going to take it elsewhere? Like, no. And so that's that's kind of like what leads to, to them becoming furious with him is because he says, um, God's going to bless the Gentiles and they're going to get the covenant promise too because people like you don't believe who I say I am. Yeah. If, it, it seems interesting to me that Jesus kind of pushes their buttons a little bit more. Like first they're they're skeptical in some way and, and he does it, but then he like adds the, that layer of, well, we're going to go to the outsiders. Like you, you gotta, you gotta imagine people in Israel at this time. So they're an occupied place. Like there are Gentile oppressors who are, like living in their land, they're soldiers in Israel from the Roman empire. And so for him to say to them, I'm the guy who's going to restore the kingdom. Also, I'm going to go to those people <laughs> and I'm going to tell them about it. Like that's you, like, we, we think, wow, they went to a, a total extreme to try and kill him. But there's something like, it's not just, Oh, we're going to go to the people, you know, on the other side of the tracks that you kind of look down on Like, no, we're going to, we're going to go to the people that are oppressing you and you're waiting for God to deliver you from and those are the Gentiles who are, who are here, you know, like if I leave Israel, then I, you think I'm siding with these other people and, but I'm supposed to be your liberator. So for them to, that, that, that feels treasonous, you know? Um, and so they're, he's pushing them to get a reaction almost. One of my observations is verse 19, where it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Yeah, And so if you go down to the study notes in your study Bible, and particularly I'm looking at an NIV study Bible, uh, it reminds us that when, we're, when you hear the phrase, the year of the Lord's favor, it's not just talking about a calendar year. Like this particular calendar year is going to be a really good one. The year of the Lord's favor is a very specific thing that we've actually talked about in depth yeah. in a previous podcast episode. So let me just read the study note here. Uh, the year of the Lord's favor, not necessarily a calendar year, but the period when salvation would be proclaimed, the messianic age. But this quotation from Isaiah 61 alludes to the year of Jubilee, and that's from Leviticus 25. When once every 50 years, slaves were freed, debts were canceled, and ancestral property was returned to the original family. Isaiah predicted primarily the liberation of Israel from the future Babylonian exile, but Jesus proclaimed liberation from sin and its consequences. So I don't know if we can do this. Producer Caitlin, can we put notes in our podcast? If people want to listen to our podcast talking about the year of Jubilee, can we send them back to that? Is that possible? 
She just nodded yes. All right. So in the in the podcast notes, there will be if you want to go back and listen to our whole conversation about what in the world uh, the year of the Lord's favor is. This whole year of jubilee, you can you can go back and listen to that episode. All right. I got I got a question here about that Isaiah prophecy. Obviously, this is like kind of the hinge thing to figure out the meaning of what's going on here. Is this this quote that he has? And I'll, I'll tell you this: I've heard people talk about this verse a lot, and I feel like most people take one of kind of three angles on it. And one is people will look at this and they'll talk about evangelism. They'll say, we're going to, you know, proclaim the good news. Like they, they highlight that and they talk about, they almost make it kind of uh, spiritual metaphors, you know, that spiritually blind people are going to see, you know, uh, who Jesus is and they're going to, you know, believe. Um, and so it's about, uh, it's about evangelism. I've heard other people read this verse, and they talk about uh, compassion and justice. You know, it's uh, proclaiming good news to the poor. It's uh, releasing prisoners. It's it's uh, uh, kind of righting the wrongs of society. It's sort of uh, uh, out there in the world, putting, you know, practical things uh, back together again. And then I've also heard some people kind of take a miraculous kind of angle, like the spirit of God is on me and he's going to bring sight to the blind. So there's like a, a sense of, hey, we're going to go out and we're going to pray for miracles and do do these sorts of things. And I've kind of like people park in those camps and kind of highlight those things. And I kind of, I kind of wonder like, what are you guys' opinions? Do you think that one of those is more accurate than the other? No, Mm -mm. that's all. (laughs) No, I, I think it's, I think it's all there. Everything that you just said is all there. Yeah. It just depends on how much you want to accentuate it. I think the danger of separating those out yeah. is you become convinced that you're you're the outworking of your Christianity. So if you're in the more of the charismatic camp and you think this is about uh, praying for people to be healed who are sick or praying for people to be set free from spiritual demonic strongholds, if that's all you ever do, that's that's fine. I mean, that is a category and those are good things. But if you do it to the neglect of actually talking and pro- talking to people and proclaiming the good news or understanding that part of the Christian life is setting wrongs right, is, is uh, systems and justice and compassion. All of those things matter. And I think what happens is sometimes Christians only function in one of those three categories and it is not a holistic way to think about Christianity. Yeah, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We, we say that a lot, you know, yeah. so... Yeah, why, why, why make enemies out of things that, that should be friends here? Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's move on to, let's talk about meditation. Okay, let's do meditation here. Um, I actually want to read that Isaiah verse again and have that be the passage that we contemplate. So uh, meditation is uh, prayerfully pondering scripture and, and really inviting God to say, okay, what, what are you saying to me personally through this? And so um, I'm going to read this again and give you 45 seconds to prayerfully ponder this verse. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor.
right. Let's talk about the message. What message did you guys get out of this passage? Uh, my message is that um, Jesus didn't let the rejection of some stop him from proclaiming what he came to do to all people. Um, yeah, he, he, he clearly said, this is what I've come to do. And uh, there are going to be some people who hear it and believe me, and there's going to be others who hear it and don't, and I'm, I'm going to do it regardless. Uh, my message is Jesus came to rebuild broken world and, and broken lives, to rebuild a broken world and broken lives. And so I, I think what we're talking about with the, the kind of holistic view of what Jesus' mission is, it's spiritual uh, it's it's uh, both the social and the personal. It's uh, got the miraculous and the practical. It's got all of those things together. Um, Jesus is here to rebuild a world that he loves. You know, we talk a lot about the idea of shalom, you know, putting back together the things that were broken that should have been working in the world. Uh, and that includes, you know, from top to bottom, your spiritual, physical, social life, um, the the systems of the world and, you know, your inner life as well. So uh, Jesus came to to put all that back together again. I'm having a hard time getting my message today because my preacher brain right now <laughs> is trying to create a clever sermon titled, You Can't Push Jesus Off a Cliff. Okay. It's a good title. It's a good title. I don't know, which is why I'm having a hard time <laughs> actually looking at this text and coming up with, with a legitimate message. I'll, I'll tell you what is, what is really jumping out to me, so, so I'll just say it. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard what he said. And so if I try to derive a message from what is jumping out to me, Jesus was telling them the truth and some of them didn't want to hear it. So it, my message is either very base, very basic, Jesus is the truth and he always tells the truth, or I could go with the truth often receives different reactions. Hmm. It's one of those two. All right. Let's talk about the A and comma, application. How do you respond? What do you do? Uh, similarly to what Eric just said, my, my application was don't let the rejection of some stop you from sharing the truth about Jesus with, with everybody. The, the truth that you know to be true about Jesus, the good news. Like don't, don't let the rejection or um, you know, the, that fear of someone being upset with you stop you from saying what you believe. Yeah. Uh, my application in terms of the message that Jesus came to rebuild a broken world and broken lives, um, I, I actually, the way I feel like I need to respond is to actually take hope that God is actually doing that. I, I think I look at situations and I feel uh, discouraged when I look at the brokenness of things and I'm like, wow, like this, this is so hard to figure out. Like what, what do we do about this? And will, will someone you know, be able to turn around in this area of their life or man, this is just messed up. And does anybody have a solution to this? And to actually say, you know what? Jesus, like God himself showed up, like walked among us. The spirit of God was on him and he started putting things back together. And then he sent his spirit on us that maybe the power of God might actually use us to put some broken things back together and to actually walk with some confidence to say, I could, I could approach a situation and, and know that God is in the business of putting things together. So I shouldn't despair or worry about that. I should see what can be done because the spirit of God is on me too. My application is taking the notion from verse 28 that the people were furious when he told them the truth, coupling it with the fact that they were amazed at his gracious words. <laughs> 
So he graciously told them the truth and they were still furious. So Mm. my application is, if I want to be like Jesus, I need to tell the truth. I need to do my best, do it in a gracious way. And then I need to trust God with the rest. Mm. That's a good connection. Because not everybody is going to respond the way I hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. All right, friends, that's all that we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading schedule. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can head over to BibleSavvy.com to download the reading schedule and to start reading along with us. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.